Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. How are you this morning, Dr. Paul? Doing well, doing well. Good. Thank you. Lots to cover today. Oh, yeah, a lot of news out there. <laughs> uh, at least uh, I don't hear the bombs dropping, but uh, we might be able to mention one item we were concerned about that uh, sometimes leads to bombs dropping yeah. and the war issue. You know, in, in a way, coronavirus has been... Uh, so important because the way it's been treated here is is an internal threat to us. Of course, the the far left is always complaining about fascism here at home is the real threat. But they're talking they're talking about completely different people yeah. than we're talking about. So, but anyway, uh, we we do not forget about foreign policy and the danger involved there. Uh, so we'll maybe at the end of this program, if we have a minute, we want to mention where there's a hot spot. Maybe could yeah. get hotter. But uh, I want to start off today with talking about a, a quote from a, a lady, uh, and I imagine she won't even be offended by calling her a lady. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is somebody, it's interesting, because she talks about the Holocaust, and she said, and, and the title was, it said something about a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. Well, that, that's a long time ago. Yeah. It turns out, as a small child, and I'm sure she was raised with the issue of uh, the Holocaust. Yeah. And the one point that she wanted to make, which is very, very important, because we've heard it so much, and she's tying the two together, is that she remembers the stories from the Holocaust that the Jews uh, were always uh, spreading diseases. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just look at the way they do this now, that if you don't wear that mask that doesn't work, you're spreading a disease and you're guilty. Uh, of disease spreading and all kinds of vicious lies like that. And she makes a very simple statement like yeah. this, which is important for people to think about. Do you happen to have that or we, not today? We do have it, actually. If we can play that first clip, because I think it's a very, very powerful short clip uh, from a Holocaust survivor talking about the demonization of people. And that's how it's, it starts. Let's get her un, unmuted and... half when my family and I were evicted from our home and deported to a concentration camp. Fear of infectious epidemics. Nazis used as spreaders of disease. Today, the unvaccinated are being accused of being spreaders of disease. do you think there's an uh, overstating this analogy of, you know, a lot of people get sharp criticism as soon as you bring up the word Nazi yeah. or anything. But it seems like she has some uh, reliable information and experience in her own life. I think what she's talking about is that you first have to have the demonization. You know, Hitler didn't just roll in with a bunch of boxcars and say, hey, we're going to take care of the Holocaust. No, he's, they spent years demonizing, shutting down Jewish businesses, talking about them being spreaders of disease. And if you look at any of the Nazi propaganda, it always portrayed the Jews as being rats and vermin and everything. So she's not saying this is a Holocaust we have in the U.S. She's saying the preparation for this kind of thing happens a lot earlier. 
right? And, and of course, we hear rhetoric, which is pr pretty rough, you know, about uh, the evil. Uh, if you're an anti-vaxxer, boy, you are, you are a pretty bad person. And, uh, and they, uh, you see that all the time in the regular media. So they've bought into that, except all that does is probably backfires on them because it's over the top. Yeah. And uh, anybody who's sympathetic to common sense uh, don't, uh, don't buy into that. So uh, I thought that was important to do it. Uh, I wanted to go on to uh, yeah. the next one on Dallas. Yeah, we want to talk a little bit. Of, I mean, I just, just really it's important, I think, for people to understand what she's saying. You know, I yeah. remember this, you know, even though I was young. We've got to be careful about how we treat people. Uh, but we want to talk a little bit about our own governor's battles because we have seen a little bit of Delta come in through Texas. Thank goodness. And I don't have a chart. Thank goodness, and I hope it holds, that the deaths have not spiked like previous iterations of the virus. In fact, they've been relatively flat. Of course, they're a trailing edge, not a leading edge. Uh, but we're getting, a lot of, uh, we're getting a lot of cases here, and he's getting a lot of heat. And, of course, the same people that pressured him into mandates, mask mandate, lockdown, this and that, they're putting the pressure on again. And, you know, it's all political enemies, too, that are doing it. But uh, let's put up this next clip, and, and we'll show a little bit about what's going on. He's... He's battling with the school districts and the unions, and he's also battling with Texas judges. Texas judge allows county to impose mask mandates in defiance of Governor Abbott's ban. For now. You know, this is interesting to me because it's a big argument, and sometimes it gets in the area of sensitivity. Who, who really should be doing this? If some bad stuff is going, does the governor have this authority to change it? Does the president have authority to impose? And I think the biggest problem is, why do these things even get started? Yeah. You know, if we didn't have this uh, irrationality about the reaction to the COVID virus, we wouldn't have all this stuff on whether it's, it's the school board or the governor, you know, that uh, has, has the ultimate say. Yeah. I happen to be sympathetic to, uh, you know, that the, that the governor has uh, uh, something to say about it, even though I understand the controversy, because there's a difference between the reaction, uh, although things aren't as bad as they used to be with our own governor, uh, compared to Florida, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, uh, he, he takes action and, and and stands by it. So I think that's that's very very good. But uh, I don't know whether there's going to be um, a, a uh, challenge to this case and appeal it and see if it happens, but or how that'll work. But uh, at least there's a sentiment now which is healthy out there on our side of this argument that uh, it should be with all the parents. Yeah. I can't imagine, what we, this was mostly in San Antonio, yeah. I can't imagine all those parents rolling over and saying, oh, this is wonderful, I've been worried about you know, sending my kids back to school with no yeah. masks on. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's quite like uh, the fear that was built up, say, six, eight months ago. Yeah, there will be some of it. You know, Some parents are still pretty whacked out Let's look at the next clip, and it's not just San Antonio, it's not just Dallas, it's popping up everywhere. They're fighting back, and it is a political fight. Here's local mask mandates pop up in defiance of Governor Abbott's executive order banning them. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner, of course, he's got his mask on. He's probably been vaccinated about 38 times. Still got that mask on because it's, of course, a sign of political orientation. But I think we can actually be a little bit thankful that our old friend Don Huffines is running against Abbott because I think it's maybe putting a little bit of spine in him. And let's look at that next clip because Huffines, is, he's, he's going to full frontal assault. Um, he's responding to a tweet saying that Texas Children's Hospital is the latest Houston hospital to require its employees to get the vaccine. And Huffines says, 
Governor Abbott bragged about making vaccine passports illegal. But more, leave that up, please. I'm trying to read it. Yeah. But more and more entities are imposing vaccine mandates each day. We need swift and immediate action to protect Texans' ability to make their own health care decisions. And I like the way he framed that last part. Excellent. I think we'll hear more from Donald. Yeah, I think so, <laughs> too. He's holding his feet to the fire. Yeah. For sure. No, he's, he's been a good and close friend and uh, been very very helpful uh, to some of the things that I have done. He actually went up you, to, to, to really explain how dedicated he's been. He actually went, went up to New Hampshire in the wow. snow oh, and knocked man. on doors. That's hard so, for a Texan to go in the snow. So, so there's philosophy, and uh, all, but there's also friendship and character that makes a big difference, too. So yeah. we, we wish him well. For sure. Um, we have an update, I think, Dr. Yes, Paul. Uh, th- this is something that uh, we've talked about maybe once or twice uh, about Florida, the, the misrepresentation of Florida. And it wasn't too hard for us to figure out. I think as soon as you saw it, you said, you know, they're trying to bring down that governor, you yeah. know, and make him. But he's a fighter and he comes flying back. And uh, they were trying to show that uh, the state is going to be overrun. And once again, they're back to statistics. And uh, if the stats don't say what they wanted to say, which usually they don't, uh, they just doctor them up a bit. Uh, but I thought this headline, matter of fact, the headline on Zero Hedge just came out this morning because they've been following this very closely. So Hedge is saying, CDC forced to adjust Sunday's Florida r- so-called record COVID account lower by how much? 5%? 50% after the state health department cries foul. Well, this is good as this has been reversed. I mean, yeah. uh, and the problem is not that not that Zero Hedge doesn't have an audience, but uh, th- this needs to be spread to another audience. Yeah. So we've just added it to the audience, yeah. you know, <laughs> that know what's going on here. Yeah, they, they, you know, it could be just user error. There are a lot of people in government who don't know how to use statistics, I'm sure. But we do suspect a little bit of political foul play. They reported a massive increase in cases but they actually put several days together and put that as one. Uh, and it's, you're, you're right, good for the Florida Health Department. They put out a tweet saying, no, 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 you gotta fix this, you gotta correct this. And that's good to have on your side to correct it down because yes, they're having a lot of cases and they're having some deaths there. Uh, it is happening, it happens in the Sun Belt. We're seeing it wane a little bit in places like Missouri and we hope that it's over the peak to Delta variant. Thankfully, if you look at the deaths in Missouri and the early frontline states of Delta, Thankfully, the deaths aren't super high. They're actually pretty low if you look at um, Alabama and Missouri. So, but anyway, these, 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 uh, these, these stats are used as political weapons, and I'm glad they fought back. Right. You know, when uh, this viral problem developed, uh, it wasn't that strange. I mean, we've had these flu things come along, but most of the time they pass after a couple of weeks when people realize it's not the end of the world. Well, this was completely different. And the most impressive thing was the organization worldwide for the reaction. Now, if, if it was easy to understand the severity of the disease and the uh, solution to it, and it was established, and the science and all the doctors agreed with us and the politician agreed with it, this would be a little bit different. But that's, that's not what happened. But it, be, it was worldwide, is worldwide. And um, so therefore, we've been watching what's happening around the world because uh, some countries lead the charge, uh, you know, and uh, 
course, uh, it, it's interesting that uh, the difference between uh, what the Canadians are saying and what the Mexicans are yeah, saying. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Uh, so, but um, th this article comes from uh, the Swiss police threaten to stop enforcing COVID-19 rules. And we've had these kind of stories, yeah. and this is always encouraging because once again, it's bringing up that the uh, that the mainstream media uh, is being challenged that even though there may be, it may be worldwide, everybody's wear the mask, wear the mask, and who knows? They might not even be worth much, you know, and, and besides it's an environmental hazard with all those masks. But uh, I, I think uh, the police now are saying they're going to stop enforcing some of these regulations. And, yeah. you know, it, uh, it, it, uh, it's interesting. How about comparing that to, say, uh, you know, uh, the police here domestically? Some of the police, because they were far lefties, yeah. they wouldn't enforce people breaking into houses and yeah. stores and stealing out in the open. So, but that's almost the opposite, opposite. Uh, of what we're talking about. Well, we can put up that clip, that Swiss clip, just to, as a demonstration of what it is. But it's a, it's a group representing uh, some Swiss police officers, and this is Paul Joseph Watson on Summit News. Uh, but uh, they wrote a letter to the Swiss Federation of Police Officers, and they said, quote, if the measures were to conflict with the general opinion of the population, disproportionately limiting their fundamental rights, many police officers would no longer be willing to apply them. And I think that is a, a wise choice. And we've also seen that in France during those massive demonstrations. We've seen police officers take off their helmets uh, and walk alongside the protesters. I think it certainly looks like in solidarity. And I think because a lot of police officers understand that you can't just say, hey, we're just following orders, we're just following orders. As we started out the show, we've been through that before. It's not a very good movie, and they don't want to repeat it again. You know, I always have high hopes for, uh, for the Swiss uh, because they had a tremendous uh, reputation for sound money, which they've uh, essentially abandoned with the whole, uh, whole world abandoning it. But uh, they do have... Uh, a sense of independence and protection of civil liberties and the fact that they've been in the center of Europe and have been able to avoid siding with one one side or the other. Yeah. So um, I, I'm glad to hear this and they, and they use the uh, important thing about uh, the, the protection of civil liberties. So I was glad to see that. Yeah, the next uh, item we want to talk about a little bit is pretty interesting. <laughs> hope we didn't get him in trouble, but Senator Paul got in trouble. He had a second video removed by an organization that also hosts our videos. Um, and that means he cannot put out any videos for seven days. Uh, they dinged him for alleged COVID-19 misinformation. And it's interesting. Yeah, here he is. He's dinged for misinformation on COVID. But the weird thing, and this is from the Epic Times, this article. But the weird thing, Dr. Paul, is... What he said that got him in such hot water is basically cloth masks don't work very well <laughs> to protect against the virus. And so I'm thinking back, I thought we did a show about this. <laughs> and if we look at this next clip, this is Biden's top COVID advisor, this doctor. If that next clip, we can put it on. Here he is on CNN. This is a quote. As we know today, many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective at reducing any of the virus movement in or out. This is Biden's top guy saying essentially what Rand said in an even, even more forceful way, but Rand's the one who gets dinged and kicked off of, of YouTube for that. And I got to thinking, Dr. Paul, I wonder, I know this is gonna be shocking, I wonder if maybe the fact checkers 
are a little bit biased. <laughs> Isn't that something? They talk in one sense uh, the uh, benefits or lack of benefits from the mask. Yeah. And they seem to be a little bit objective about the whole thing. And then they turn around and all of a sudden it becomes a political issue yeah. and they can switch in no time at all. And once again, they should be pointed out because the people, even though they are willing to disagree with politicians, but if they figure they're telling the truth and doing the best job, you know, they don't get nearly as upset uh, as they do when they see the hypocrites out there. And uh, I wish be winning this argument all the time because people don't like hypocrites. And there is a slew uh, of hypocrites around. <laughs> so yeah. we have to keep push it, pushing it and uh, emphasizing. And, and it's always, uh, you know, the, the celebrities that, who, who were big political figures and, 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 and uh, all kind of celebrities, uh, you know, the radical environmentalists, yeah. sometimes they violate their own ad advice about, uh, you know. Uh, John the, Kerry. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's for sure. But, you know, this whole thing about, you know, and, and Rand re released this very, very powerful video saying we need to resist the tyrants. And that may be that cheese them off. But we're thinking about the politicization of fact-checking Let's go to this next clip. This is fascinating. I saw this on, on Twitter. Who are the fact checkers? <laughs> you think that they're these objective guys sitting there with a big dictionary? Well, here's one. Michael Wagner, he's a University of Wisconsin professor. He is the unbiased outside accessor that FactCheckNet relies on to certify PolitiFact's uh, conclusions. Professor Wagner, uh, this is the guy who is, and we don't know that he was involved in this YouTube thing at all, but we're looking at bias in the quote-unquote fact checkers. Let's look a little bit into this professor situation. Let's go to the next clip. Michael Wagner, University of Wisconsin professor, deletes tweet about Rand Paul's neighbor. This is a fact checker. He doesn't sound unbiased. In fact, let's look at that next tweet. This is the unbiased fact checker. There's a clip of Senator Paul's uh, video saying, now it's time to resist. They can't arrest all of us. And here is the unbiased fact checker. Where have you gone, Rand Paul's neighbor? A nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Clearly, clearly a call for violence against Senator Paul. These are the kinds of people that are checking to see if the facts are right. Give me a break. I know that's uh, been used in that term more than once. And it's, uh, it's, uh, sometimes the people who use this, where's, where's the neighbor, are very, very blunt about uh, yeah. Everybody knows they're talking about violence. How, we, how can we get rid of them and this kind of thing? So it is uh, not good news, I'll tell you. But uh, pointing this out, I think people will uh, someday uh, wake up more and realize uh, uh, and try to sort out the truth from fiction. That's the big job. Uh, that's probably, that's, that problem has been around for a long time. And uh, I, I just think that uh, uh, we should do the best we can to help people decide uh, on their own, on you know who's leveling with them. Yeah, and don't. Yeah, someone needs to fact check the fact checkers. That's yeah, the there you problem. go. But we want to uh, move on to a little bit of foreign policy. It looks like we're, we're we're breezing along quicker than we thought. So we do have a, a few minutes to talk about the Iraq situation. If you want to bring that up. There, uh, yeah, with a headline here, uh, this is anti-war, our uh -huh. friends at anti-war. That, that site, um, I think, is so valuable. It, uh, yeah, and, it is. Uh, uh, because it's, it's covering news that uh, uh, the media won't, and if they do, they'll distort it because uh, 
it's anti-war. Yeah. And uh, there's a pretty strong lobbying organization pro-war <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Washington, and it's called the Military-Industrial Complex. Oh, we shouldn't we shouldn't say that they're always for war, but they're always for the war machine. Yeah. And uh, if things get too quiet and they're not building weapons enough, or there's an appropriation bill on the floor, then they have to do something. They have to come up and uh, get people upset. Fear. Yeah. Fear. So then they have to build the weapon. But it says the Iraqi militia says there will be an appropriate response if all U.S. troops don't leave. Of course, we've agreed to it a long time ago. Yeah. And we should have agreed to it even before that. We had no business going in there. You know, Saddam Hussein, he wasn't part of 9-11. Yeah. You know, no. most, you know for probably still today, I, I bet you there's so, still some people who think they, sure. he was part of the conspiracy on 9-11. But uh, matter of fact, he, he really detested the... Uh, uh, the uh, Extremists, yeah, yeah, the yeah radical he, jihadists. He kept as the Iranians do, too. And so uh, uh, this, to, this to me is that we're not going to leave. You know, did we leave uh, Afghanistan? No, we're still we're still dropping bombs over yeah. there, and uh, but they they're not going to. The Afghans aren't going to quit. They're not going to give up. They're not going to surrender, uh, and, and the Iraqis aren't going to do it either. And of course, uh, long term, this whole mess that we have created is we've created a bigger problem for the interventionists and and for the neocons. that the Iraqis now are are much better allies with the Iranians. And, yeah. You know, and and that coalition is going to be there for a while. And Syria sort of joins in on that too. And the the danger is we've talked about it a lot. It's this kind of mirror imaging and believing your own propaganda. You know, Washington, the elites, the foreign policy and military elites, they believe the rest of the world is just too stupid to understand anything. So when Biden announced a couple of weeks ago, oh, uh, we are going to change our mission. No longer it's a combat mission, but we're leaving all the troops there. They honestly believe that the Iraqis were too stupid to understand what that means. Well, the fact is they're not too stupid. They understand, they want the Americans out. They never wanted them in. And so here's a spokesman for a, one of the Shia militias saying, there's going to be a response if they don't go. They need to go. And uh, here's his Al-Fartushi, his name is. And he says, changing clothes and appearance is not a withdrawal. <laughs> U.S. and foreign forces withdrawal from Iraq has to be in full. And I think the addition to that would be, and if not, they're going to respond because they view it, and rightly so, as their own territory. They don't want the U.S. there. We have no mission there. There's nothing remotely related to our national security in Iraq. So there's no reason to stay there. So keeping them there, particularly when they're surrounded by hostile forces, is literally abusing the military, and it's going to get Americans killed for no reason. The way I see this, there's two reasons that uh, this is all a negative for us. The first, the policy is bad. Going in is bad. And like you say, uh, what, what, for what reason? National security, nobody really believes that. And uh, at the same time, the, the policy's been there. It's been there, you know, since uh, 2002 and, and it's ongoing. But the second part is we lose more credibility. Let's say, we sort of made a mistake and we're in there and we need to leave and, and the pressure, political pressure such, we have to leave and it's to our best uh, interest that we, you know, leave or pretend to leave. Yeah. So then we go and we have 
a consecutive president essentially saying the same thing. Yes, time to leave, time to see, time to end the war, and uh, we'll, we'll just shift our interest from one country to another. And uh, then when we fall back on it, that that can even add to the annoyance that we even got started in there and killed a lot of people and say we've had enough we're going to leave and then we don't leave yeah so what what i think happens and i think this is part of the reason that our standing in the world first or for both those reasons one we shouldn't be there doing this nonsense and secondly that uh when we make a promise or talk about okay we're going to change our tune yeah. and they don't do it it's just you know uh, they they just don't believe in the the so-called negotiations and agreements. So what is the answer? I say change our foreign policy yes. fundamentally. Fundamentally, fundamentally. Well, I think we're about exhausted. I've got one final little clip. I'm going to call this segment Dumb and Dumber um, <laughs> because it features Lindsey Graham. And that's not very nice. I know, Dr. Paul, you would never be that way. But um, let's put up this, this clip. I forget how many seconds we want to watch, but I, I did mark it down. I think the first 28 seconds. Lindsey Graham returning to the Senate. <laughs> He's had some problems. Be back. Thank you for the inquiries about my well-being to all my colleagues. I appreciate uh, the good wishes and the phone calls and the food, and I made it. I think the worst is behind me. Uh, I want to reinforce a simple message. If you haven't been vaccinated regarding the COVID problem, you need to get vaccinated. I've been vaccinated, and I uh, got COVID anyway. A couple of really bad days, but uh, I'm doing better. I mean, on, on what planet does this make sense? I mean, seriously, he said, if you haven't been vaccinated regarding the COVID problem, you need to get vaccinated. I've been vaccinated and I got COVID anyway. I mean, this guy is not a good salesman for the vaccination, right? Do not sign him up to sell this but thing. He's honest for a moment. For a moment. <laughs> yeah, I did get it. <laughs> yeah, that's his warning. <clears throat> you know, um, when we talk about policy, whether it has to do with how to handle a virus at home or poverty at home or education at home uh, or what's going on in the world, we usually use the word non-intervention. Uh, for, for many, many years, and we've continued to use it, or a lot of people use it, that they, they paint those of us who think this way as being isolationists. We don't want to deal with the world. We don't want to deal with poverty. We don't want to deal with, you know, uh, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And we don't want to deal with uh, international affairs. Well, it really, I, I'm always annoyed by this, uh, you know, isolationism because uh, actually freedom is a, a very good format for bringing people together and uh, in er more areas and, and, you know, whether it's domestic at home, it's personal or whether it's international. And uh, what, what I what I like to talk about is uh, uh, not not the isolation, but the uh, get coming together and uh, non-intervention. And uh, one thing I, I said in, in the campaign, I believed it sincerely, but uh, I didn't become president. And uh, that is for this reason, that, that total principle that what I'm, I'm talking about is not quite there yet among the millions of people, unless you talk to somebody personally and all of a sudden they agree. So my point was, in all the campaigns I've ever run and all the things I believe, is that we should be non-interventionists in the, in, the, in the affairs of individuals. I don't know how to tell people how to live and what they should do. They only have one rule, don't hurt people and don't steal from people. 
but you don't you can't run people's lives we need a good governor and we need a president how are we going to run the people and tell them what to do and one time i asked the congressman why are you doing this he said they're dumb the people are dumb so we have to tell them what to do and also in the economy why why could should you be a non-interventionist in the economy well that means uh freedom of choice it, it would mean that people make all the decisions on how the money is being spent and not the politician it would discourage people from having special interest groups and discourage people from running up huge debt and destroying the value of the money so you want to be non-interventionist and of course uh, we're always uh, very anxious to apply that one principle to foreign affairs and non-intervention you know, it, it isn't that there aren't problems over there in all the parts of the world, including our own. So we should deal with our own problems, and uh, we should not pretend that we know how to solve the problems of the rest of the world. So we believe that we should be non-interventionists. They should have a motivation to solve their own problems. So instead of being isolationists that don't want to deal with the world, we believe the world will come together with peace and prosperity if they uh, are willing uh, to be interventionists in the sense of helping people in a voluntary manner. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.